I would like to greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. But in my language, in Tuvalu, we say talofa. And when I say talofa, it means um, greetings. I am privileged and I am touched to be here this morning to speak to you about the issue of justice, especially in relation to climate change and the impacts that the Pacific Island countries are facing. I have been in other colleges and universities around the eastern coast of the U.S. doing the same thing, but I thank the people who made it possible for me to come this morning and talk to you, and especially the leaders of the seminary for the opportunity given to me to talk on the issue of justice. Before I embark on the theological perspective from our own perspective on how we see climate change in relation to the justice issue, I must first highlight the context in which I am going to, to talk about. And I will talk briefly about the context, the country, um, where we are, who we are, what we do, and how we live. And what our church does. Our, our country, Tuvalu, is a country which is about 26 square kilometers of land um, with a population of about 12,000 people. Um, we live very, a very subsistent kind of lifestyle. The whole country is four meters above sea level. Um, that is a point. Most of the country is below that. And I must say that uh, because of the impacts of climate change, people are facing uh, difficult difficulties in sustaining their livelihood. The, the land is sand, it is not soil, so it's not that fertile. So we can only grow our traditional crops um, when we go down to where the underground water lens is. Um, that is where we plant our traditional crops. But because of sea level rise, salt water has intruded into these underground water lens, so that water can no longer be used for any purpose. And it cannot even uh, use for drinking or even for our gardening. And because we live a very subsistent lifestyle, we can no longer depend on our traditional crops. And we live off the sea. Our main protein supply is fish. And when we, in the past, when we go fish, we go fish, we pray, and we believe that God will give us enough supply for the day. What happens today is that when we plant, we pray, we don't get any fruits. Uh, we go fish, we pray, we don't catch enough fish. 
So there is a challenge to God's providence. There is a question about God's providence. Um, but our, the loss in our fish stocks comes from the fact that um, the ocean temperature has increased and the acidification of the ocean has increased as well. So corals around the islands have been bleached. So our fish stocks either further move further out into the ocean or they just simply die out. And this makes fishing very, very expensive. You have to go far into the open sea to catch enough. And I think that will be the context, a brief on the context of uh, what I am going to talk about. Unfortunately, I cannot see what is on the screen. The, the island is already too small. Uh, it's only 20, 26 square kilometers. And coastal erosion um, is making the island smaller. Land to us is life. And you lose your land, you lose your life. That is the only thing that we can pass down to our children and grandchildren. We are losing that. Food security, as I have said earlier, we can no longer depend on, on our traditional gardening. We can no longer depend on our traditional fishing uh, skills. Therefore, people are being forced into a market-based lifestyle where people need to go into the market and buy food to sustain them daily. The problem is that not everyone have the financial capacity to entertain that kind of lifestyle. Majority of the country, of the population, do not earn regular salaries to cater for that kind of lifestyle. And because of that, dependency becomes a problem. Because two people might be working, and 10 to 20 people might be depending on those two. And that will lead, definitely, into increase in poverty. So food security has been challenged. We have a, an identity crisis. When it, you know, they always say, it's only 12,000 people. It's easy to uplift them and place them in the middle of somewhere. It might be easy, but the cost to our identity, to us, if we talk about relocation, it means that we are talking about the literal death of a people. Because if, you are, if the international community decides to uplift 12,000 people and place them in the middle of nowhere, over time they will simply assimilate into the culture of that, that land. And our traditions and cultures are things that evolved out of the environment that we lived in. They cannot survive in another kind of environment. Our language will disappear. Our way of life will be dead. In a few generations' time, there won't be any people known 
as Tuvaluan. To make it worse, we know what is happening to the refugees around the world. And yet, there is an international convention that protects the rights of such people called refugees. Right now, there is no convention in the world that protects the rights of people who are forced out of their countries because of climate change and sea level rise. So if this is what we see now to a group of people who have the rights under a convention, what happens to people who will be forced out without any protection at all under any convention? We will become homeless people, identityless people. I always say that it is easy for us to migrate, to move from place to place, as long as there is a point of reference where you can turn around and say, that is where I belong. But they are telling us that we have about 30 years before our country is submerged, goes underwater because of sea level rise. We know that such a small country did not contribute to the cause of the problem because they do not have any factories up until today. And it is such a small population. We know that the cause of the problem was caused by human pollution that pollutes the air. We know that the cause of the problem comes from a dominating system that favors a minority around the world. Unfortunately, those who will be impacted by the problem, by the impacts of climate change and sea level rise, are the low-lying island countries like ours. Countries which did not contribute to the problem, to causing the problem. The, the question is, then why us? We believe that in the Bible, we have the rich views in theory where it states that the sinners will be cursed and the faithful will be blessed. And we see that in the narrative of the, of the flood. And we always question, during the narrative, in the narrative of the flood, um, nor and his people were on the boat of the Ark of Salvation because they were faithful. They did not have any part in the sin that caused the flood. While the rest of the world were floating and trying to find a way to save themselves on the face of the flood because they were the sinful, 
sinful of the, of the time. They were the cause of the problem. Yet, in the face of the challenge of climate change, we see that the poor, those who are not benefiting from the system, the vulnerable, the voiceless, the powerless, are the first to be impacted by this problem. So the question of justice comes in. Why is this happening? Why are the innocent being impacted or, in other words, being punished for something that they did not cause? I would like us to look at the book of Job, and I, I believe that the book of Job was a cry that came out of an unjust society. In first and second Isaiah, we saw um, prophecies concerning the returned exiles from Babylon. And the prophecies were that when they return into Jerusalem, they will live a joyous life, a peaceful life, where there will be peace, no tears, no slavery. It almost describes a scene where God is present. Where yet, when they returned, the remnants who remained in Jerusalem, have made themselves rulers and have made policies and laws that favors them. And the returned exiles were enslaved up to the point where a slave was bought with a pair of shoes. The injustice of the system at that time caused the writer of the book of Job to question God. Why is this happening? Why is injustice ruling the land? And this is the same kind of question that comes out of any oppressed and suppressed society by a dominant system. I believe this is the same question that comes out of the issue of climate change when we look at it that way. Job was the voice of the voiceless. He was voicing out the voice of those who were deep, um, who were being suppressed or depressed by a dominant system.
when we come into the New Testament in trying to answer the question of why the innocent are being impacted first or simply said, why are the innocent being punished? I believe that Jesus came into the world with a very specific mission. God sent Jesus into the world to save and to liberate. As in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief came to steal and destroy. Jesus came so that we may have life in its abundance. Now, when Jesus came into the world, he did not only came to send souls into heaven. Jesus' focus was not mainly on the souls of people. But he came also to care for their physical welfare. We see that in a lot of narratives in the New Testament, Jesus mingled with the women as it was in the, uh, in the well. And we know that women at the time were classed as properties, if I may say, in the Jewish tradition. They had no rights. They had no voice. Yet, Jesus gave them the right and gave them the voice. Jesus healed the lepers. Lepers were regarded as the walking dead of the time. Though they were breathing, they already did. So that society have outcast them from any involvement in what the living are, they are doing. Jesus healed and restored them. I believe that Jesus, when he came into the world, he had to choose sides. There were two sides at the time. There were the powerful, the decision makers, who were the leaders of the, of the system at the time. And there were those who were being victimized by that system. So G Jesus had to choose which side he had to side with. And we see in the Gospels and the New Testament that he decided to choose the sides of the victim. He sided with the victims of an unjust system so that he can liberate them from the situation they, they were in. When he walked into the temple and he saw what was going on in the temple, we see a different Jesus then from the whole portrays of Jesus in the New Testament. 
we see, we see a very angry Jesus where he overturned tables, made a whip, and started whipping people. I see this a, as a direct challenge to the authority, a direct challenge to those who regard themselves as mediators between the people and God, the leaders of the church, those who authorized such activities to take place in the temple. And Jesus was directly challenging them. And this challenge is actually a challenge against the system that oppresses the rights of the people. The system became an obstacle between the people and God. In order to go to God, you have to go through the system. And it is becoming an obstacle. And because of that, Jesus had to challenge the system. The leaders, therefore, the authorities, the decision makers, have to decide whether to give up their power and the system or to get rid of Jesus. It either him, it's either him or us. I am totally convinced that Jesus was crucified because he challenged an unjust system. He gave up his life so that people can be liberated. People can be restored. People can have dignity. If we claim to be Christians, if we say that we are disciples of Christ, if we say that we are trying to follow Jesus' footsteps in our lives, how do we see ourselves in the midst of this challenge? We believe that Jesus called his disciples and bestowed upon them the right to continue what he was doing. My challenge, therefore, to all Christians around the world, how do we see ourselves on the, on the footsteps of Christ in regard to the injustice that dominates the world today and that causes the sufferings of millions around the world? It is not only 12,000 people Because other low-lying countries with populations like Bangladesh, millions, will also be impacted. So when we are talking about this injustice, we are talking about millions and millions of people who have been oppressed, outcasts. Let us meditate and think deeply and pray to God 
to enlighten us on our role as Christians as we try our best to walk in his footsteps. May his name be glorified now and forever. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you for the opportunity given to us this morning to hear your word. And we, ha we thank you for your voice and thank you for your message. We can only do so much. And we ask you to bestow upon us your Holy Spirit. Enable us to look deeper into our role as your disciples, as we have been called by you to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.